Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Insider, sponsored, as ever, by Vanishing Inc. My guest today lives in Los Angeles. He's a magician, a writer, a director. He's a creator, an author, a lecturer at the USC School of Dramatic Arts. He fooled Penn and Teller, then appeared as the only guest performer on their April Fool Us. Above all else, he's friends with Handsome Jack. It's none other than John Lovick. John, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. Good to talk to you. You know, you and I go way back because you lived in Los Angeles for a while. Momentarily. And fun times we had. Did you enjoy your time in Los Angeles? I wouldn't switch it for the world. And I, I miss the castle and hanging out there a great deal. There's nothing quite like it over here. So, Yes. What's your origin story? You have 26 seconds. Oh, 26 seconds. Well, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm an idiot who was born in the tiny, tiny little town of Libby, Montana. I uh, uh, grew up reading uh, every, every book I could get my hands on. Uh, after graduate school, I needed a hobby and uh, took up magic, and it eventually consumed my life. And uh, now I'm a magician, and because uh, I still read everything I get my hands on, I know everything, but I understand nothing. <laughs> Your background is in theatre. Can you talk about that a little bit? What sorts of roles you've played in theatrical productions and how that oh. helped your magic? Well, um, in college and, and after college, I did, I did quite a bit of an acting. I, I, I grew up thinking I wanted to be an actor, and it was in college I realized I'm, I'm not really an actor. <laughs> I but had I exactly the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you, you were a child actor, weren't you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. That's something I learned about you not long ago, which, you know, if we weren't recording this, I'd talk to you about it. Perhaps after sure. we're done, I'll ask you about your theatrical career. So in college, I realized I'm not, I'm not really an actor because um, uh, I, have, uh, I have no emotions. <laughs> and and acting, acting is emotion. Sure. It really is. And I have no emotions. Uh, but th that's when I also learned I was a, I was a director. And so I then went to, uh, went to grad school for directing. But while I was acting, for a guy who can't sing and dance, I was in a lot of musicals. <laughs> I was in... Was in Fiddler on the Roof and uh, The Music Man and a great show called The Apple Tree, um, the show that Alan Alda was in the original Broadway oh, right, production okay. and Mike Nichols directed it. Uh, really fun show. Um, did did a lot of musicals, a lot of comedies. Oh, I played the Woody Allen character in Played Against Sam. Oh. Uh, did 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 lots of shows, but I realized I wasn't an actor. I was a director. I went to grad school uh, for directing. Then I worked in theater and film and radio and television for about 10, 15 years, doing every job you can, you can name. And like I said, my hobby, which was magic, eventually took over my life. Uh, I didn't intend to do it full-time or professionally, but here I am. Do you, do you think every magician should study theater? <sighs> Not necessarily. Um, here's the thing about magic that's really interesting is magic draws upon almost every human discipline or endeavor or art form or skill or craft. Uh, you name it, magic can make use of it, I think. Uh, whether it's psychology or math or engineering uh. or art or dance or acting or juggling, uh, sleight of hand, Magic can find a way to use that. And everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses in, in magic. I mean, there are few people who can do everything. 
Um, like for example, I can't nail two boards together. Um, so I'm not the kind of guy who, who can make a, a, a Tommy Wonder type prop sure. or gimmick. Um, and I'm also not particularly skilled you know, with sleight of hand, although I, you know, I do a handful of slights. I'm not, I'm not a great card magician. But, and so what I do, and I think what we all do, whether purposely or subconsciously, is we lean on our strengths and rely on those to pull us through. And for me, it is, you know, storytelling and writing uh, and acting and, um, you know, coming up with, with premises and presentations. And that's what sort of has, I've built my career as a magician on. So I wouldn't say there was one piece of advice that all magicians should follow, like you need to study theater or you need to do this or you need to do that. For me, if I hadn't studied theater, um, I would not be a magician today. It would still be a hobby right. uh, for sure. But, um, you know, it can never hurt, uh, you know, study carpentry, study music, study uh, acting and writing and, you know, directing and, uh, and, and chemistry. You can use all of them in magic, sure. but I wouldn't say one piece of advice for everybody. Okay. You direct other magicians a lot. What's that process like? And why do you think having a director is so important? Well, I'll answer the second part first. Um, I think having a director is important for two reasons. One is just the simple fact that you can't see yourself on stage. Uh, no one can. And so having a set of eyes watch you is good for simple things like you're flashing. Mm. When you steal that ball, you flash. Or when you hold that up, we can't see it. You have to hold it like this so we can see it. Uh, things like that. And your timing, your pacing, just simple like that. And also, just from... This is sort of the same thing, but sort of different. It's, a, it's, it's, it's collaboration. Um, there's, there's almost no idea you can have that can't be improved a little bit by somebody else's perspective sure. or idea. Or somebody will take it and tweak it just 10% and make it a little bit better. Or someone might add something that is like, from your point of view, out of left field, but transforms it completely. And having somebody that will discuss these issues with you and, and you know, bounce ideas off of, which a director ideally would do, um, is r really important. Um, if, if, if you don't have, you know, someone coming in and taking a look at you and taking notes and, and giving it to you as brutally as possible, you're, you know, you're missing out and you're not improving at the pace you should be improving. You, your use of brutal is interesting there. A couple of months ago, yeah. we had um, Shane Cobalt on, who is a big mm -hmm. fan of brutal criticism. Why, yeah. why do you think that's important? Why can't you just be nice to people? Well, uh, <laughs> well um, this, this part of this is I learned, this is one of my strengths and one of my weaknesses, is that... Um, I didn't learn until fairly recently that the golden rule is wrong. The golden rule is uh, do unto others as you, they would have, others would have. That one, yeah, <laughs> you know it's a great one. I love is. that rule. It's my favorite rule. <laughs> What's, it's do unto others as you would have others do unto sure. you, I guess. Yeah, the, the do unto others, the golden that rule. One, yeah. Well, that's wrong. Okay, why? That's wrong because 
the problem is, is not everybody wants to be treated the same way. So if you treat people the way you want to be treated, often you are not treating them the way they want to be treated. Well, I, my whole life, have treated people the way I want to be treated. And I don't take things personally unless they're personal. <laughs> sure. And, you know, and notes on your act, that ain't personal. Right. That's just opinions about art and mm -hmm. craft. So if something is a dumb idea or it's a hacky idea or it's a boring idea or that's really clever, those aren't personal. Those are just, hey, think about this. You know, adjust your brush stroke. Um, and so I've, I've always wanted people to be very straightforward with me. And so I've been very straightforward forward with people. Um, and I think that's the only way. If, it, trying not to hurt people's feelings doesn't help them. It hurts them in the long run, I think. I concur. What, what <laughs> um, challenges and opportunities do you think having a character presents somebody with? Well, there are pluses and minuses to that. Uh, one thing about having a character, if it's a good, interesting, or memorable character, is people will remember it. Sure. <laughs> uh, there was a time for like three or four years in a row, I did a charity gig with a couple of magician friends of mine, like three years in a row. And we would walk into that, we would walk into that charity gig and people would go, hey, look, it's Handsome Jack. They wouldn't say, hey, look, it's Joe Blow and, you know, Dan Average Guy, yeah. who were the actual names of the two magicians I was performing with. <laughs> they suck. <laughs> they wonder they didn't remember them. The, the names have not been changed to protect the innocent. Uh, nobody remembered the other two guys' names. They might have remembered their acts or tricks they did, but didn't remember the names. Sure. But, and not everybody remembered Handsome Jack's name, but a lot of people did. So people remember Handsome Jack, and um, that's one of the advantages of it. The disadvantage of it, it's very, very hard to add new material to the act because I can't just take a trick that I like and put it into Handsome Jack's act. I have to Handsome Jackify it. Right. Uh, which is I have to figure out why and how would Handsome Jack do this trick. Because if I just do a trick straightforward in the middle of the act, it sticks out like a sore thumb. If it ain't handsome jackified, it's just like, well, that, that's just a trick. That, what does that have to do with anything? And so because of that, like I'll have an idea for a trick I want to do that I really love. But if I can't figure out how or why handsome Jack would do it, and it usually takes me years to figure that out, you know, that trick sits on the shelf for a long time. Is there not a part of it that's that limitation is actually good in as far as that you, you there are gazillion tricks out there and the fact that you do have not blinkers but the rules i think anyone will tell you that limitations spur creativity um filmmakers will tell you all the time that you know i didn't have enough time and money on this on this movie and so it forced me to get creative and so the movie was better because of it if they'd if he'd had unlimited time and a huge budget he just would have gone with the simple easy first first choice, first option, and it wouldn't have been as, as creative. Sure. And so limitations, you know, force you to think, and you, you don't go with your first idea, because your first idea 
is rarely the best idea. The first idea is most likely to be the hack idea. If, um, if it's an idea that 10 other magicians can have, <laughs> it's probably not an idea worth doing. But if you go with your second, third, fourth, fifth, 10th idea, you, it's more likely an idea that no one else would come up with. And that's something, th this started in theater. Um, when I would direct plays, one of the things I would do is I would think of what's a way to do this that is 100% valid, that is completely supported by the text, that tells the story and reinforces the themes, but is not an idea that anyone else would come up with. I try and do stuff where people go, where did you get that idea? Right. Um, I try not to go with the obvious choice that underlines and highlights and italicizes the cliche or the idea that's already there in the text. If it's an idea that you can get from the line of dialogue, I try not to reinforce it with the costuming or the blocking. I try and play against it so that the two ideas bump against each other in an, in an interesting way. You're one of the world's largest Penn and Teller collectors, as I understand. Can you talk about <laughs> yes, your collection? I'd, I'd love to talk about my collection. Um, I do have what I am 100% certain is the world's largest collection of Penn and Teller memorabilia and ephemera. And um, it, it happened by accident. The, the Magic Collectors Association... Yes, there is a I was, magic I was unaware association. of this organization. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's 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 why you have me on the show, so you can learn Thank something. You. something. <laughs> uh, they have a magazine called Magic Call, where they write about you know magic history and magic collectors and magic collectors collections. And uh, a couple of years ago, they had me write an article about my Penn and Teller collection, and it was one of the very very few articles that's about a collection of contemporary stuff. Right and not stuff from the Golden Age or from you know, Robert Houdin's mm -hmm. era or whatever. Um, and the way the collection came about is it started in uh, 1995, I believe was the year, Genie Magazine put Penn & Taylor on the cover. And Jamie Ian Swiss did a very, very long, really wonderful interview with Penn & Taylor. And I read that article, or the interview, and I just thought, it was the most amazing thing. Penn & Teller had the most interesting perspective on magic and their process was so fascinating and what they were trying to do was so great. Uh, I thought, wow, I want to read every interview they've ever done and read everything they've ever written. So I started to seek out other interviews they'd done or articles they'd written. And I eventually I had you know, dozens and then hundreds of magazine articles by and about them. And then I started to buy books that mentioned them or books they had written or books that had chapters about them. And then, you know, it, it expanded to I was buying, you know, uh, photographs of them and posters and playbills and programs and then props. And it just, it just... Where did their props go for sale? Was this just from friends? Well, it, they have a number of tricks where they will give the the spectator who assists them on stage they will give them a prop that was used on stage like in the 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 um the trick that's called silverfish yeah. at the end of the trick the uh, woman who assists teller gets the fish bowl full of pennies 
So I've got two Taylor fish bowls full of pennies. <laughs> um, at the end of their trick called polyester, which they use uh, like a 20-foot piece of <laughs> polyester. The, the kid up on stage, he gets that piece of polyester. Um, uh, bullets used in the bullet catch. The, the right, spectators right. who sign the bullets get bullets. So those kinds of props. Okay. So over the 25 years now I've been collecting, I have just an unbelievable amount of stuff. Now, almost everything in the collection is worthless <laughs> and a stupid little piece of junk. But collectively, it's a really impressive, uh, you know, uh, collection. That's so cool. Let's let's talk about yeah. them. What do you think makes them so dynamic? What is it about Panantella that resonates with you? Boy, that's a that's a deep, profound question. That's me. I'm deep and mm. profound. <laughs> you know, it's actually not that profound a question. It's not that deep. It's just a hard to answer question. Shallow and yeah. pointless. That's a, shallow and pointless. That's, that's what I meant. And, that's what I meant. That's a <laughs> but I, as as pointless as the question is, I shall attempt to answer. Thank you. Well, here's the thing about Penn and Teller, is what they do with their magic is what all artists sh should be trying to do with their art, whether it's a performing art or a fine art, is they should be trying to communicate something and share part of their heart. And they use their magic to share their worldview. Um, and, and, uh, and communicate to the audience uh, things about uh, things about the larger world and and how uh, and their perspective on things, and that's why a lot of their magic is so interesting and and so profound is because you learn something about them and you learn something about the world and not enough magicians do that. So I think that's one of the reasons why I admire their magic. Plus, we talked about collaboration earlier. Well, that is one of the best examples of the strength of collaboration is because they are two very, very different people mm -hmm. with two very, very different sets of interests. And they artistically, when they come up with an idea, they almost always disagree on it and they argue about it and they fight back and forth until they come up with an idea that neither of them would come up on their own. Right. Um, but the two of them together come up with this great idea that no one else would come up with it because only those two minds of theirs would come up with. So they, they come up with crazy, crazy plots that you go, where did this come from? Well, it came from two really smart, really interesting guys arguing having about stuff. Having a fight. <laughs> having a fight. Um, and they, to this day, they've been working together for 45 years now, and to this day... They're coming up still with crazy, crazy good ideas. I just saw the show recently, and they're coming up with some of their craziest ideas ever now, after 45 years. So they're really, re they really are advancing the art of, art of magic in, on several levels uh, in a way that I think is very uh, exciting. Plus, the show is funny and beautiful and um, theatrical and dramatic. You know, I just, I just love their stuff. Aside from this you're also an incredible author i bought i bought your book switch at international magic many years ago it's great i remember selling it to you. you also co-authored the paper engine mayhew's what women want and assy wins repertoire 
you've either written or co-written and, and some other and, books yeah, too. And some other books as well we'll get on to the other books mm -hmm. as well you've all yeah. you, you've, you've written or co-written an awful lot of books what's your writing process oh um i don't know if i have a process but i do know uh, i'm all about clarity my goal when writing a magic book is write it in a way that a person could understand the trick and be able to do it if there were no illustrations. Ah. And then you also add illustrations or photographs to supplement it. But the goal is you don't need the pictures if you, if you write it you know, well enough. So for me, it's all about clarity. That's interesting. And communicating. And it's also about, um, uh, I, I'm very big on the history of an idea and crediting and uh, variations and uh, tracking an idea through the many iterations because I think that's a very important to the creators, but also very interesting uh, to see how ideas evolve over sure. time, whether it's this is where this magician started with the idea and this is where it ended up, or this is where this idea has been in other magicians' hands uh, through time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like exploring all those issues. And as far as my process goes, I just try and understand the idea and ask as many questions as I can and try and capture as many layers of, of what's going on in the, in the magic as, as possible. And a few times, like with Mayhew's book, uh, I try and capture the performer's personality. Mayhew is a, is a very, very funny performer, and I tried to capture his sense of humor. Uh, with some magicians, it's more straightforward and a little drier than that. But with his book, I, I tried to have fun with it. And then you wrote Handsome Jack, etc. for your friend Handsome Jack. Talk to us about that book. My ex-friend Handsome ex -friend. Jack. Ex-friend. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to us about that book, as I imagine it's, it's closest to your heart. It sold out super quickly. How did that feel? And what do you think are some of the highlights of the book? That was like five questions in one. That is a bunch of questions, yeah. and thank you for bringing it up because I, uh, that book was very important to me. And, and, and you're right, it, I thought it would take a year to sell out. It sold out in two and a half months. I never in a million years would have thought it would sell out that quickly, and we're now on, uh, in the third printing. And so now because we've just printed the, the, the third printing, copies of it are available, and your listeners should you know, uh, seek it out and buy it. But it's a book that took about five years to write, uh, I would work on it when I had time. What question am I answering now? Which then we've done. So, hang on, yeah, I'll go back. We've done uh, super quickly. It's dearest <laughs> to your heart. Uh, what do you think are some of the highlights of the book? As far as the highlights go, the three things that I'm probably the proudest of are the torn and restored thing, which was the torn and restored routine I did uh, in combination with Harry Anderson's Grappler, and I did it on Penn Teller's Foolis. Uh, that. The confabulation routine, which I call vain fabulation, uh, both method and presentation, I'm very proud of that. And the third thing is the little house on the scary trick, which is, it's just a slate routine. I remember seeing it. Yeah, it's just a slate routine. And that's one of those things where I thought, I had those slates for four years before I figured out how or why would Handsome Jack do a trick with slates. You have to justify the slates. And you know, it took me three or four years and I went, ah, this is why I have slates. And so I built a, a routine around the TV show Little House on the Prairie, 
which sounds ridiculous, and it is, but it's one of my favorite tricks. It works. It works. I, I, I do remember seeing you doing that before um, before Handsome Jack at the Castle many years ago. Talking of the castle, yes. you're at the castle, so you get to see lots of magic. Yes. Can you talk about how you evaluate magic and performers? What are you looking for? What does good oh, look boy. like for you? Boy, that's that's an interesting question. I might not have an answer to that, but... I just want to be, I want to be surprised. I want to see something I've, I've not seen before. Right. And if you're doing a trick that I'm familiar with, and if you're not doing it different than everyone else is doing it, I want you to do it better than everyone else is doing it. And different just for the sake of different is no good. Different to express your point of view is good or different because you've got a, a an interesting or fun take on it is is good but either do something new with it or surprising with it or outrageous with it or just do it better than anybody and make it worth my while just uh, you know you're making a room full of people sit there and shut up and pay attention to you give us something in return for that that's what I look for in magic. Uh, it, it seems to me that since we first were hanging out at the castle, uh, around that time there's been this resurgence of brilliance with you and Delgado and Zabrecki and so many others. What do, you, do you think there's something that's caused this perfect storm of, of talent? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, it, being at the castle has been a wonderful thing, and in my years there I've met many wonderful performers like those you mentioned who've, who've all become great friends of mine and I've loved collaborating with them on stuff. And I think the reason, at least one of the reasons why is we grew up in a time when we were exposed to a lot of great pop culture and we sort of drew on those influences from outside of magic. And we all in our own ways brought those influences into magic. So, for example, Zabrecki loves the Dada art movement. So he has drawn extensively on the uh, ideas uh, of, of Dada artists and also from his work as a musician. He uses a lot of music in interesting ways in his work. And Derek Hughes studied stand-up comedy and improvisation. And so he draws on his, his improv skills and his stand-up comedy. Derek Delgado has studied and drawn upon ideas from the world of art and great artists, like going back to Duchamp, for example, and then you know more re recent artists like uh, uh, Chris Burden and, and other artists. And so uh, he brings interesting ideas uh, into the magic. And I think that's why uh, there seems to be so much creativity in magic, is people, maybe this has always been the case, but it's certainly the case now, is people are, are bringing, in, bringing in ideas and creativity from other disciplines. And it's like I was talking about earlier, magic can draw from all disciplines and should, I think. That's exactly what I was going to say. We've looped back perfectly to how we started the interview, John. <laughs> um, and we've run out of time. We always end with four quick-fire questions, Levick. Are you ready? Oh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not good at, at, at uh, rapid-fire questions, but I shall uh, do my best. There's only four. Uh, Favourite pizza topping? Uh, mushrooms. Favourite movie? Miller's Crossing is my go-to answer there. Favourite personal people that make music? 
Tom Waits. And finally, who would you rather fight? 100 tiny Joshua Jays or one massive Andy Gladwin? Um, oh, I... I love that you're giving this thought. <laughs> We're going to call this one a tie because both of those would be so immensely pleasurable. I can't even describe it. Perfect. Oh, John Lovick, should people want to keep up with your antics on that there internet? Where, where should they do that? There, there's no reason at all that people should want to uh, follow me or, or be interested in what I'm up to. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, but no one cares. I'm on Twitter, and even fewer people care. But if you have a question, I'm going to say okay. this. If you have a question, email me at jack, or han jack at handsomejack.com. And if you have any Penn and Teller memorabilia and you want to get rid of it, give me a call. Or if you go to an estate sale uh, and you know someone has some Penn & Teller items, get a hold of me. I've got, I've got an unopened, perfectly ordinary pack of cards somewhere, but you've probably got a couple <laughs> yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Um, so yeah, anybody who wants to contact me can, jack at handsomejack.com, or go to Facebook, uh, look up John Lovick, uh, Twitter, I think I'm... John Lovick or Handsomer Jack at, uh, you know, whatever. Perfect. So great talking to you, Damien. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for your time, John. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you.